It's Friday, August 10th, and this is The Daily Dive. Space Force is back. Speaking alongside Defense Secretary James Mattis, Vice President Mike Pence announced that the Pentagon has begun the process of establishing the Space Force as the sixth branch of the military. The development of the Space Force comes in response to anti-satellite weaponry and other tech by countries such as China and Russia. Axios editor Lauren Meyer joins us for the details and the biggest hurdle, approval by Congress. Next, as the conversation about sustainable food continues and the population is expected to balloon to 9.8 billion people by 2050, we will speak to Jake Maluli, writer for Wired, about his two-week adventure into entomophagy, the consumption of insects. With their low impact on the environment, they have grown in popularity as the next big thing. Jake will fill us in on his favorite bug dishes. Finally, before you invite all your friends over this weekend, listen to this. A recent study has found that when one partner dislikes the other's friends, it can harm your marriage. In some cases, couples are twice as likely to divorce because of the bad blood. Elizabeth Bernstein, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for more on the study and what to do when you don't like your spouse's friends. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Our adversaries have transformed space into a warfighting domain already. And the United States will not shrink from this challenge. The time has come to establish the United States Space Force. Joining us now is Axios editor Lauren Meyer. It was about seven weeks ago that President Trump announced he wanted to create a space force. Nobody really knew what it was about. You kind of imagine a Star Wars scenario playing out, spaceships and whatnot, but it's actually happening. They want to create a sixth branch of the U.S. military. And you were there in the room at the Pentagon for the presentation where Vice President Mike Pence announced the next steps to create a space force. What did he say? Vice President Mike Pence explained that this proposal will begin with the establishment of a new combatant command, the U.S. Space Command. It'll also establish a space operations force and a new joint organization called the Space Development Agency. And all of this has the goal to improve and, as Mike Pence said, evolve space warfighting, including integrating force designs, concepts, doctrines, tactics, techniques, all quite literally in the process of creating a separate branch of the military on par with the five others, including the Navy, Army, etc. Now, how long has this been in the making? I know President Trump announced it a, you know, a few weeks ago, but they've been working on this for some time now. Beefing up space defense has been something that President Trump has been pretty keen on developing. He first floated this idea during his inauguration speech and about, as you mentioned earlier, seven weeks ago is when he first coined this term Space Force. But since then, the military had been trying to point the president's efforts towards further developing our current space command, which is under the U.S. Air Force at the moment. But we could see a very similar development as we did following World War II through the development of what is now the U.S. Air Force. They're the ones that are really going to be taking the biggest hit as as far as this, because they have a lot of personnel already dedicated to working on a lot of these kind of things that whatever the form it takes, the Air Force right now is working on a lot of those types of projects. Vice President Pence said in his statements, too, that a lot of what they need is protection of our satellites. The U.S. military uses a lot of the satellites to guide their missiles for the economy of the United States. We use those satellites for GPS. And the threat is coming from 
places like China and Russia, if they take out a satellite, they can cripple us in a ton of different ways. This development comes in response to just that, this anti-satellite weaponry and other technologies by countries such as, as you mentioned, China and Russia, who are developing this, which both Vice President Pence and Secretary Mattis cited as emerging threats that, in their words, must be countered. He also said, the Vice President said, that the space environment has, quote, fundamentally changed and is now very crowded and adversarial. And so this is something that the vice president is very passionate about, likely trickling down from the president himself. One of the things that they point to was in uh, 2007, the Chinese shot down one of their own satellites and it created like this crazy debris field. That stuff catches into an orbit. It could hit other satellites. And it was back then when they realized, well, we need to protect our assets in space. It's all this low-level orbit stuff. It's not really this notion of Star Wars and space fighters and things like that. But it's kind of a, a uphill battle still. Uh, the things they were describing are things that they can do without congressional approval. But to create that sixth arm of the military, Congress needs to get involved. This development and this extra branch of the military cannot happen without the authorization from Congress. And this report that the Pentagon said has been delivered to Congress explains that the Defense Department is requesting that they basically allocate another $8 billion for space security systems over the next five years and will work with Congress to enact a statutory authority that will place this funding in the National Defense Authorization Act. It's one of those questions that comes up and it's kind of weird because Congress doesn't like to create more bureaucracies a lot of times. And this is exactly what it would do. I mean, you need the military component, but you also need a bunch of civilian components to make an agency or a new arm of the military like this work. So, and there's going to be a lot of money. You said they're going to want to allocate $8 billion, but it could be far more than that. So it's kind of a weird, <laughs> it's a weird thing. I don't know if a lot of members of Congress would be on board with this. Has, has there been any reaction to this news so far? What we're seeing so far is that there is a lot of positive response to this from Congress. Now, because there are so many people involved on the Hill and that would be involved in approving this, we are waiting. It is a little bit early to see a lot of the counter responses to this. And so this $8 billion, too many, can seem like a blip, but some are arguing that this amount of funding is a lot to rebrand essentially the same resource sources that currently operate under a branch of the Air Force. But one response that we did see was from former astronaut Mark Kelly, who went on TV slamming this plan, calling it, quote, redundant and wasteful. It does make sense if this is going to be the next big wave of protection that we need. It does make sense to allocate resources specifically for that. On the other hand, there has been a pretty big group of Republican congressmen who have been spearheading this effort and really promoting this idea to increase our defense up in space for some time now. Now, that effort could to some be seen as people trying to, quote unquote, cozy up to the president and appeal to something that he has been so passionate about. But at the end of the day, there is support on both sides. Axios editor Lauren Meyer, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I mean, Chinese black ants, you wouldn't think it, they look like ants that crawl along the ground, but they actually have a surprising lemony flavor that I did not expect. So, you know, you put those on a leafy green salad and suddenly you've got 
sort of Joining us now is Jake Maluli, writer and editor at Wired. So we found your article, My Two-Week Edible Insect Feast. You tried your hand at eating a bunch of different stuff. I mean, the industry for these edible insects is growing. They say by 2023, it might be worth $126 million, the whole industry. Why did you undertake this challenge? It seems inevitable that insects are going to become far more common as part of a balanced diet. I've always been curious, would I actually be able to stomach the reality of eating bugs? There's 1,900 edible bug species. Tell us some of the things that you tried in this two-week trial. Everything from crickets to grasshoppers to locusts to mealworms to Chinese black ants. These are the most common things available. But also, one of the reasons why we're interested in this topic is because so many food companies now are producing products friendly to a mass audience. So everything from granola is infused with cricket protein to cricket protein bars to flavor-blasted treats that are ready-made. There's uh, renowned restaurants that are doing this uh, in Chicago, where you're from. Over here in Los Angeles, where I'm at, there's a place called Gelaguetza, where they do grasshoppers. They're called chapulines. It's all over the place. And so the consumption of insects itself is called entomophagy. You wanted to start slow and and then kind of work your way up. So uh, tell us, walk us through the two weeks and, and what you were eating the whole time. All these products arrived at my doorstep, and I'm sitting there looking at them and wondering what I've gotten myself into. My stomach's churning. So it took a good couple of days before I was actually able to start eating this stuff. But I started slowly with the most friendly product, which is cricket powder. I put it into a smoothie that I normally have, which is a kale banana smoothie, blended it up and took a hesitant drink. And really, there was no distinct difference. The only thing I noticed was the earthy base note to the normal shake. It wasn't bad. It really didn't change the taste at all. Feeling a little bit of momentum, moved on to whole crickets. This line called Aketa from a company called Exo from Austin. They have a line of snack treats that are whole crickets that have been, you know, flavored in, in a whole variety of different ways. The one that I liked the best actually was the Texas barbecue flavor. <laughs> and so I pinched one up, dropped it into my mouth, and chewed, and was pleasantly surprised. It was actually very tasty. And before I knew it, I was throwing back fistfuls of, of things. Wow. I expected there to be more of like a chew, but it really was just a light crunch. And actually, the flavor was better than most potato chips I've had. Were you doing this for every meal? Was this the only things you were eating, or were you mixing it in just as snacks and stuff? Initially, I thought maybe I'd be able to eat only bugs for two weeks, but the more I looked into it, I quickly realized that really what the thing to do would be to incorporate these insect proteins into my diet, but I did give up animal proteins and plant-based proteins entirely. So yes, I was incorporating them into salads, into stir fries. You said you had sauteed some Oaxacan adobo-flavored grasshoppers and mealworms into a stir fry. I think that probably tasted quite all right. You put some Chinese black ants on a salad and sprinkled them onto pizza as if they were red pepper flakes. Maybe a little weird to look at, but probably also not so bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Chinese black ants, they look like ants that crawl along the ground, but they actually have a surprising lemony flavor that I did not expect. So put those on a leafy green salad and suddenly you've got a sort of citrus burst. <laughs> I love the way you describe these. One of the ones that uh, I probably would not try, you said you got a rice cake and topped it with dehydrated locusts. 
it was those kind of creations that made me glad actually that I am a freelancer and that I work from home because if somebody had seen that, seen me eating a rice cake full of locusts in public, not only would I be a little bit self-conscious, but I think I would have turned the stomachs of most people. Oh yeah. At the end of all of this, what was the verdict? It's something that I was surprised how easily I was able to make it a common part of my diet. The thing that I walked away wondering how the industry was going to respond was I never found anything really that I, I felt could replace chicken breast or a cut of beef on the center of my dinner plate. So far, the industry hasn't really created any products that are like a cricket bug burger, cricket quarter pounder, if you will. So from the industry experts that I spoke to, uh, um, including a woman named Marianne Shockley, a board member of the North American Coalition for Insect Agriculture, which is advocating for entomophagy and is promoting the lifestyle. She says that the next step is a lot of these companies are going to begin producing things that could potentially replace a cut of meat on at the end of the day, the reason why this is a story and why it's increasing in popularity is that raising mammals for protein is energy, water, cash intensive. It takes a lot of that stuff and, and it produces a lot of greenhouse gases, whereas these bugs really, it's it's not that much. So that's why it's been increasing in popularity. Are you still eating insects or are you back to normal? I'm back to normal, but I'm headed to a camping trip and I'm actually bringing along some of the insect protein bars and I'm, I'm hoping to convert some of my friends to, uh, to insect protein. Jake Maluli, writer and editor at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So he doesn't like her friends several things. He could be intimidated by the intimacy she's sharing with the friend. He could be jealous of it. He could be worried she's talking about him. You know, all of these things can be sort of threatening to him. He may feel there's not intimacy in my or the relationship, the marriage. So why are you spending more time or talking to her about things you should talk to me? Joining us now is Elizabeth Bernstein, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. She also has a column about relationships. So we found your articles very fun, especially going into the weekend. We have to talk about this because, hey, you might be making plans and you need to know about this before you go and make those plans. There's a new study that found out that when one partner dislikes the other's friends, the marriage can suffer. And it's especially damaging when a husband doesn't like his wife's friends. It's so interesting. So we always have known, right, like family members can really cause a lot of tension in a marriage, like say in-laws, mother-in-laws in particular. These researchers want to know what happens when friends are in that marriage and maybe intervening, maybe not, but one spouse doesn't like the other's friends. And what it shows is basically just what you said. It, friends can cause a lot of tension in a marriage because we love our friends, hopefully, but maybe the person that we love, maybe our spouse or partner doesn't feel the same way about our friends. And so that dynamic can be very, very tense for a relationship, right? Who do you hang out with? What are you telling your friends? All of that can be very stressful. Yeah, it's all about how much time you're actually spending with the groups. I mean, part of what goes on in the study and, and in your article, if I'm here on the outside and my wife is spending a lot of time with her friends, I might be feeling a little neglected or vice versa, either way. And, and there's connections that are being made. I, I, you Sometimes men rely on their spouses for that emotional connection. And a lot of time a woman will rely on her friends with, with a lot of that stuff. And so there might be a little jealousy component as well. 
This study found that friends can be tense for relationships. When the husband doesn't like his wife's friends, that seems to be much more harmful to the relationship and actually leads to divorce much more often than when the wife or the woman does not like her husband's friends. So what's going on here? It has to do with the friendships, the type of friendships men and women have. And so as you say, women are super connected. We talk to our best friends about everything. These are very emotionally intimate conversations, relationships. Men don't really have friendships that way. They do things. They do activities with their friends. They might not share with their best friend anything that's going on that's deep for them. Uh, So when that woman's with her friends or a friend and she's talking, it's intimate, if she's spending a lot of time with them, but also if she's just caring and nurturing and having this great friendship, yeah, the husband can feel kind of left out. And also if she's telling that friend about problems in the marriage, you know, he's obviously going to resent that. Right. And that runs into a problem. They're hearing one side of it, obviously, just from her. And so you're the bad guy. <laughs> Some you're of the time. You're the bad guy. But, really, right? Like we're telling our friends, oh, blah, blah, blah. This guy married, you know, right. my husband did X, Y, and Z. Well, <laughs> yes, he is. I might be really upset, but he is only hearing my yeah. side of the story. I mean, he might not know all these wonderful things you just did for me today. You're venting with that stuff. So obviously you want to bounce that stuff off your friends and then things can get a little from there. I've run into this problem myself. Uh, you know, there was friends of my wife that I didn't like. And I imagine that communication is really at the core of this. If you communicate it, at least you can reach some, some common ground, at least. And I, and I did that with my wife specifically. I said, Hey, you know, I don't like so-and-so for these com- kind of reasons. You guys can go and hang out and do whatever you want. Just maybe not include me. Don't invite me to that brunch or something like that. Exactly. The communication is key. And and also maybe understanding two things. One, there are friends and they're part of the marriage, right? So there's more people than just two in this marriage. There's family and friends. And friends are very, very important. But if you really don't like your spouse's friend or friends, you really need to get to the bottom. You need to discuss why. What is it? I just think this person's bad for you. I think they're a bad influence. I think they're a drama queen, whatever it is. But you want to get to the bottom of what that issue is because you can get rid of that friend away from the marriage. But if you have an underlying issue, it's going to stay and it's going to come up again with another person or, you know, in general. So you want to get it. What is it? I'm jealous that you share a lot with your best friend. I want you to share with me. Well, that you need to communicate and, and address right away. Right. I have a question and maybe you can, uh, you know, just in your experience, I've had a lot of friends with, uh, you know, they have their boyfriends and girlfriends and there's a situation where they might break up. So I'm consoling my friend. I'm, I'm talking to him and uh, I'm not necessarily speaking very ill of the other person, but I'm supporting him mostly. So I say, oh, she's no good for you. You don't need her. And then later on, they get back together. So now. I'm the bad guy because I talked so oh, much crap before. I, I mean, what yeah, do we do with that? You're stuff? in big trouble now. Yeah. And obviously, <laughs> so, you know, he tells her everything. So, I mean, what do you do when a situation like that happens? Are you? Yeah. You have to be aware beforehand that that is always a risk. They could come back together. And so you could say, look, like, I don't want to say anything bad about this person, but I've noticed maybe you're not that happy. Make it about your friend. Maybe you aren't that happy. Maybe you need a certain kind of person, you know, somebody who's nicer, more supportive, whatever. But don't bash the person. You do really have to be careful about bashing somebody's partner or soon to be ex because they can always reverse that decision. And then you're the odd guy out. Right? Uh, I wish I would have talked to you a long time ago. I've lost a <laughs> couple friends because of that already. Elizabeth Bernstein, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. 
All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.